Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball. Kind of whenever, I'm your host, Christian. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I am doing well. We got not a lot to go into today, but uh, we got some exciting moments coming up in Major League Baseball, regardless of if there's not that much to be talked about that we haven't already covered. Right. Um, yeah, that's a problem when you go pretty in-depth like we did last episode. You know, yeah. You don't leave uh, you don't leave much on the plate for uh, an, an episode like today and not really much ha- has happened in the past few days. So, um, uh, yeah, we're we're kind of on a kind of on fumes here. But uh, what did happen in the last three days was Miguel Cabrera's 499th home run. Um, you know, uh, he's going to be on watch uh, here and. Uh, I remember uh, one of the one of my preseason questions was uh, involved in the Tigers. You know, I asked you uh, if you know was Miguel Cabrera going to get uh, to 500 home runs? Was was he going to get to 3,000 hits? You said 500 home runs, and uh, looking like that is a strong possibility for yes uh, what? I did say yes to that, right? Yeah. Well. Uh, I said uh, he's a certain amount away from 500 home runs, a certain amount away from 3,000 hits. And I said, will he get both uh, one or neither? And you said he would get the 500 home runs. And it's looking like looking like that is uh, going to be the going to be the case unless he hits like 350 for the rest of the year. But uh, I mean, yeah, history is uh, is is upon us. It's cool. It's cool to see. Uh, when was the last time we had a 500th home run? Was it Ortiz? Um, yeah, I think so. Had to have been right. So, 2015. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Miggy is. I mean, he's. I feel like people really do forget how crazy good he was in his prime. Yeah, and even before his prime, I mean, he, at the age of 22 in 2005, I'm looking at his Baseball Reference mm-hmm. page. You know. He was posting 900 OPSs. Uh, you know, if you just if you just go down the line from 05 to 2016, there's not an OPS below, I believe, uh, 887. Uh, yep. So he was just he he was probably you know consistently maybe even the best uh, you know offensive player for about a decade i really want to go to the the span finder just type in spans of 1849 games right yeah let's take a look take, it'll probably take forever to load because the span finder is still relatively new 
But yeah, to uh, give reference, from 2005 to 2016, he averaged uh, 154 games played, 39 doubles, 33 home runs, 115 runs batted in. His average slash line was 326, 405, 571 for a 975 OPS, 159 OPS plus. So, yeah, this is obviously someone who uh, who was great. And, you know, I mean, was pretty good recently in, in 2016. Uh, but obviously, as you go into your late 30s, you're not going to be uh, the same guy. Although this year a, a flat 100 ops plus so he's been an average hitter yeah. should i uh should i go 18 uh 1849 games and limit the span to a single season see if that works <laughs> did you did you unintentionally do that <laughs> no i didn't I, I just see the button it's just funny seeing right underneath the amount of games just the button to offer to limit the span to a single season yeah <laughs> as if that's ever going to work um yeah uh we're going we're going league wide statistics 18,000 1800 games single season yeah i mean uh you know who knows who knows what it was like uh back in the day uh yeah i mean miggy is i guess uh trending in the right direction he yes, i feel like he is doing better offensively than most people would anticipate would think yeah he since has, like yes of course he's not what he used to be but like he's only had two seasons with a sub with a below average uh like offensive prowess and they, the worst was a 93 and i like i get that the tigers are paying him uh 30 million dollars to be an average hitter and that's not you know a very good investment but uh looks like Bayruth did it a bunch of times so since june 18th let's, let's say since uh hmm like like live ball or not like live ball era let's say like divisional era um so since uh june 18th uh cabrera has an uh is hitting 312 with a 857 ops that's in that's in his last 40 games so he is uh he's definitely trending uh in the right direction yeah um maybe with the home run uh with the home runs in mind here uh and yeah, he's, you know, don't look twice, but you know, he's also going to be on 3000 hit watcher relatively soon. Maybe not this season, but he's 50 away from 3000 hits. It is pretty cool when you get like the, you get like both of those watches at the same time. Like Pujols was in like the 600 home run watch and the 3000 hit watch back like a few years ago. Like, I think he got both of them like within a year. Yeah. Yeah calendar year at least yeah one day one day in this in this uh great in this great game it might be hundreds of years from now but we will see uh a three thousandth hit that is a 500th home run that is a milestone home run doesn't even matter what number yeah one day for omar vizcal it could have been his 100th home run oh i mean i don't i don't know about that he had 80 yeah Eighty with twenty eight hundred hits. Yeah, it probably would have been tough. Yeah, it would have been tough. Eighty fifth home run. <laughs> that's when you that's when you want back for sure. Right, right, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I mean, um, what what have you got on the 
1,849 game span. I mean, even if I kind of honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of just quit it because wasn't it was like you know, the the thing that sucks about the span finder it shows every single span so if you go one day and still have the stats it, it keeps it so it's like there's a hundred babe ruth pages there's a million barry bonds pages so i was just like eh, you know what like there was a bunch of mark mcguire's bunch of barry bonds with yeah i, I put in 975 ops and you know mark mcguire had plenty of uh 1849 game stretches with a 975 ops so yeah, it's not just one singular span, but I mean, it's right, you know, obviously, you know, it shows that Miguel Cabrera is right up there with with the greats. Um, I'm going to look at, you know, where he ranks uh, in terms of... I'm going amount of qualifying seasons with 130 OPS plus. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's uh, it, it would be nice to look at where he ranks in um, in things between 2005 and 2016, you know, a 12 year span where he was just um, likely, you know, this was kind of when, you know, half that half that time span, Pujols was uh, teetering out, so he probably was the best offensive player in this time span. Yep. From 05 to 16. Um, so I'm looking at. Oh, Pujol still beat him out in uh, B War from 05 to 16, but it was Cabrera. Cabrera was second uh, in in uh, wins above replacement in the span. Uh, but if you condense it to like 20, I mean 2010 to 2013 was a uh, pretty unreal. He won two MVPs in that span. He you know, won a triple crown, obviously. Yeah. And he was a legend. Uh, still from 2010 to 2013, Robinson Cano beat him out in B War. Uh, <laughs> I can't win. I mean, to be fair, like people will all people will always talk about how Mike Trout should have won MVP of the year. He won the triple crown. Like that is a very very common uh, discussion that is had. Yeah, and I'm probably like in hindsight, you know, at the time I was, uh, I was 11, so I thought, you know, obviously, average home runs RBI is, is the winner here. But in hindsight, I do think uh, Mike Trout should have had that based on the amount of the amount he was able to do on the base paths. But this isn't some something where I'm going to talk bad about Miguel Cabrera. Uh, because, you know, we're talking about his 500th home run happening. Uh, Cabrera did lead in F war from 2010 to 2013. Uh, so, and what else did you lead in? I'm looking at fan uh, I got a, I got a stat for you right here. Miguel Cabrera is one of 26 players all time to have at least 10 qualifying seasons with, uh, well, 150 OPS plus and, among those 26 players, only three of them are not in the Hall of Fame. They are Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, and Barry Bonds. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. You know, it doesn't take that stat for you to know that Miguel Cabrera is going to be a Hall of Famer. We already knew that, but that just puts it in perspective, the kind of people he's with. The other people that have exactly 10 qualifying seasons are 
Uh, Pujols, Mike Schmidt, Jimmy Fox, Ed Delahanty, and Cap Anson. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a, you know, he's he's been historically a, a killer on the offensive side of things. Um, I'm looking at where he led from 2010 to 2013. It's pretty much everything. He led in F4. He led in home runs. He led in RBI average uh slugging he also led in hits he led in runs scored um he led in everything in that four-year span and i bet if you expanded it a little bit he would lead in a lot of things as well and uh yeah i mean a lot of these milestones are just celebrations of uh of careers being had exactly yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool when you see people get into this stage of their career where it's, you know, it's it's 3000 3000 hit watch, 500 home run watch. You know, it very, you know, it happens once every like maybe 5 years or so, but it's it's very awesome to see. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, not every uh 500 500 home run season or 500 home run uh thing can happen during an MVP year like Alex Rodriguez or Barry Bonds, uh, it's not going to happen that way. I guess, yeah, he did, but I mean, oh seven, yeah, in six hundredth home run or three thousandth hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but A Rod hit like his his six hundredth and his five hundredth on the same day. Oh, uh, A Rod. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, on the same day. Like of the year, not obviously. Yeah, you know, he had a hundred home runs in one day. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm not sure. I forget. I mean, it, let me look this up. Yeah, it might have been. Um, might have been something. Um, I, I swear to God, this is this is correct. Um, so he hit his 500th home run on August 4th, 2007. Yep, and he was like the youngest player to get that. Yeah. Uh, his 600th home run was uh, August 4th, 2010. Yeah, that's right. Three years later to the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So pretty interesting there. I'm looking at uh, where, where and who uh, Miguel Cabrera's uh, 500th home run could be off of today at four o'clock. He is facing, he is uh, in Camden Yards. He's facing uh, John Means as the starter, but uh, you know, obviously the Orioles bullpen could keep I, hope, that up. I hope he doesn't do it today because I would love to see him do it in Detroit. He's got a home series against the Guardians this weekend. And then from there, yeah. Home. What if they just have a giant home stand right now? Yeah, they're, they're home against the Angels. And then this weekend they are they go to Toronto next weekend. So he's got, I think he's got like he's got six games or so at home after this this Orioles game. So I would love to see him do it uh, at home. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. Uh, but you know you could pull Manny Ramirez and get your 500th home run at Camden. Uh, you could you could do that. Um, ticket prices are like for Tigers, like home games right now. They must be. No, they're not that bad, actually. For $29, you can have the chance of seeing Miguel Cabrera's 500th home run in person. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And I feel like it could happen relatively soon. I mean, the, you know, um, outside of means Baltimore's pitching is, is not great. And Cleveland's pitching because of uh, injuries has not been great either. Uh, so, and you know, angels pitching historically has never been that great. So this could happen uh, pretty soon. It could happen any. It could happen today. It could happen any time. It could happen first at bat. Once is are they playing the game day game today? Uh, they're playing at four four oh five. Yeah, then never mind. I was gonna say this could maybe it could have happened by the time this is out, but I doubt that. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope not. <laughs> I hope it hasn't been done uh, by the time it uh gets out. Uh, but yeah, that's that's uh what's been going on. Um. And uh, tonight we have the Field of Dreams game in Iowa. Uh, I mean, should be interesting. Uh, it's being made a very big deal out of. I don't know if it's that big a deal. I think it is. I mean, it's, like, when was the last time a, a game was hosted in the state of Iowa? Um, I'm not sure. MLB has been around for 150 years. Has there ever been? I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I wish it wasn't $1,300 for a single seat. I think that's pretty lame. Which yeah, I understand why it is, but I mean that's still like tough. Yeah, how many people in Iowa are gonna be well, able to? Flying. I mean, people are coming from all over. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, all all based on this. Uh, all based on this movie. Um, yeah. which I guess it's cool. It's you know grown a cult following, obviously, but um, I mean. It's interesting. The scenery is, is amazing. It looks it looks very aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering. Yeah. And I forget what the dimensions are on this field. I th- it's, it's, so I was going to mention this. Andrew Heaney is the projector is the probable starter tonight for the Yankees. And he is like a legend of the XFIP. I think his home run to fly ball ratio this year is like 17%, which is well above average. And the field dimensions are very hitter friendly. It's, I mean, I guess it's not that bad compared to Yankee Stadium, but it's three thirty-five down the lines, three eighty to the alleys, and then four hundred to center. Um. Oh, three. Yeah, three thirty-five down the line. I mean, that's. I for some reason I. Th- it's standard. I think. I think beforehand. I think they were talking about the the dimensions of the actual field, but they didn't realize they were building a separate field. Yeah, uh, right, the right. The actual field of dreams is like 300 down the lines. Like, there's no way you could have a Major League Baseball game there. Yeah, definitely not, especially with, like, low fencing. You can... it's, still, it's still hitter-friendly, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's not really much of a fence. But, I mean, yeah, that's pretty – like, three – I'm trying to think. I mean, uh, whenever I think of the, like, standard dimensions, I think of Rogers Center, which is 328 down the lines – and 400 to dead center but i guess that's considered a little bit friendly a little bit of a taller wall there too yeah i guess um what what are your kind of thoughts on the field of dreams thing uh i think think it'll be cool as like a you know it's a once a year thing I'm, i'm assuming they're doing this going forward i don't know if it's been announced but um, I mean, I think it's going to be fun to watch. Like, it'll, you know, it's the first time it's happening. Lance Lynn's going to be on the mound for it. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I think it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, you know, I'm. There's, there's not much really else to it. Yeah, I'm. A, yeah, it, it'll be fun to watch. Um, 
I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, at home for it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to a Patriots preseason game tonight. So lit, pretty lit. We get to see who are they playing. They're playing the Washington football team. Um, only reason, I mean, it's the first time to be excited about a Patriots, uh, preseason game, you know, first time to be excited for a while because there's actually a quarterback, uh, there's a quarterback battle going on. So that's going to be fun. Um, if it, if there wasn't, I wouldn't be, you know, that excited, but, and it's going to be crazy hot tonight. So, uh, you know, only reason to go is, is to watch this quarterback battle. But anyway, uh, I will probably watch a a replay of it at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting, you know, a nostalgia for people who like, you know, were uh, present when the movie came out. It'll, you know, be a real f- full circle thing. Uh, I remember, yeah, uh, it was going around social media. Kevin Costner was there walking around the field. That was pretty cool. That was awesome. Like he, there was a video of him like coming out of the cornfield and like walking onto the field playing catch. That was awesome. Yeah. So I'm assuming this is going to be every year they do this. Uh, and uh, that'll be. Oh my God. Hold on. We got some breaking news. Finally. Chris Davis of the Orioles has announced his retirement. Oh, wow. Wow. All right, we got something to talk about here. 15 minutes ago, the Orioles posted a statement saying, At the ex- After an extended time dealing with my injury and recent hip surgery, I informed the Orioles about my decision to retire effective today. I want to thank the Orioles partnership group led by the Angelos family, the Orioles organization, my teammates and coaches, the University of Maryland Children's Hospital, with whom I continue to be involved following my retirement, and of course, Birdland. Thank you for the many memories that I will cherish forever. Sincerely, C.D. Um, wow, that's, so he was just for, uh, he was, Bob Nightingale just put this out. He was in the sixth year of his seven million, of his seven year contract. Um, does this mean that he's, this means that he's leaving the money on the table, right? Um, I was about to say, I wonder if this is a scenario like what the Red Sox did with Dustin Pedroia, where they have a mutual agreement on how the money is going to be doled out, but uh, there's no details on it now. I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, this is very. This is very fresh news. It just happened. Uh, <laughs> it just happened very recently, like in the last 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean. Um, I mean. Yeah. I mean, his his legacy is uh is very interesting. Oh, okay. I mean. Hang on. No, I have some new. John Heyman just tweeted. Hey, uh, Davis will still be paid twenty three million dollars in twenty twenty two, which is the last year of his deal. So. Okay. Uh, so it was a mutual. So he's just gonna be stepping away from baseball. Um. He has a yeah. Like you were getting into. I'll let you continue. But yeah, he does have a very complicated legacy. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny that we talk about Miguel Cabrera because. Uh, Davis was right in the MVP race in, in 2013. Uh, he, you know, led the league in home runs and RBI. Uh, I think he was someone who, who kind of came up with a, with a, an, with an interesting, you know, quality to him. He came up in 08, did pretty well with the Texas Rangers, had an 880 OPS in, in 80 games. And uh, he kind of teetered out uh, a little bit in Texas he was traded in a 
pretty big trade. Um, I just remember Koji Uehara was involved. I, you know, I forget uh, who else was involved, but we go to transactions. He was traded with Tommy Hunter to the Orioles for Koji Uehara, and uh, and then yeah, you know, Davis kind of finds refines his identity in Baltimore in in 2012. He had 33 home runs, and then 2013 is his is his banner year. Uh, where he had 53 home runs, 138 RBIs, a, a 10.04 OPS, and uh, and then uh, 2015 he leads the league in home runs again, and he gets a he gets a, a big extension, I believe. I believe it was that year. It was after um, 2015, yeah. He got in a he signed an extension, and. Uh, Ever, ever since then, it's, you know, it's turned into an, an infamous contract and uh, an early retirement. Yeah. I think, I mean, we can't, you know, it's easy to remember the bad things about Chris Davis's career, but I don't think we should ever forget about 2013 and 15. Like that was one of the biggest breakout years in recent history in 2013, where he went from, you know, I know he hit 30 home runs in 2012. He was still very strong back then, but I mean, to, to go from you know, one of the better home run hitters to one of the best home run hitting seasons in recent history was pretty remarkable back in 2013. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a great story. I mean, um, you know, everyone, um, everyone would talk about how the Rangers like got fleeced because of how great Chris Davis was do was doing and how we just had a, how he was just having a great season. And, you know, it's funny because uh, in 2015, that's when StatCast started. You can look at his StatCast numbers from that uh, time. He had a 17.3% barrel rate that year in, in 2015. Things were looking very good in terms of him being able to hit the ball. Like, yeah, 2015, he was uh, 95th percentile in average exit velocity. 94th percentile in hard hit percentage, 98th percentile in expected WOBA, 100th percentile in barrel rate, 98th percentile in expected slugging. Uh, you know, he looked to be one of the best power hitters in, in all of baseball at, for, a, for a short period of time. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, like, I don't think we should forget, like, just everything he did for the city of Baltimore. Like, he was very much involved in that community. You know, he mentioned in his statement, like the children's hospital that he's going to continue being involved in. Like the guy. Yeah, he had a he had a legendary downfall, but I mean, like he was I still feel like he's a person that the city of Baltimore can say that they're proud to have had. I like I really do think that he can keep that legacy, even with the way he was playing on the field between 2017 and beyond. Yeah, 100 percent. That's ultimately the legacy is who he helped along the way in the, in the city of Baltimore. Um, that's ultimately what it, what it is all about. And, you know, was able to use um, his resources for, uh, for good. And, you know, no one, no one who he helped is going to be complaining about him having negative wins above replacement during his contract. No one's really going to care about that. It's going to be about uh, who he helped and uh, what he did along the way. Exactly. Um, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing a lot of people saying like, oh, the Orioles, like they finally, you know, like Chris Davis, they finally freed up that money. But like, 
Like, I don't know. What would the Orioles have done with that money, really, anyway, if Chris Davis wasn't in question? Like, I have a hard time really picking that answer apart because Chris Davis was the highest signed contract in franchise history by a long shot. Like, they haven't really done much with money other than Chris Davis anyway. Yeah, there's... So it's like, I, I can't... I don't really know if I can say that Chris Davis was holding them back financially because I, it's hard to imagine they would have done anything anyway, really. Yeah, the, there's no way... That, <laughs> the, the reason the Orioles aren't spending isn't because Chris Davis is holding them back. It's because they're rebuilding yeah. and they don't want... There's no reason to spend money right now. But even, like, let's say in 2017, like, they were, you know, like, they were competitive, quote-unquote... Chris, that was the second year of Davis's contract, and they went out and, and spent big at the deadline to get Jeremy Hellickson, and that was it. Yeah. Like, 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 this team, like, they didn't really do much to build around him anyway. Like, Adam Jones was, you know, he was there, but certainly, but he was, you know, past his prime. Like, Nick Markakis was gone already. Like, there was not, they didn't really, you know, if Chris Davis was the guy they were willing to build around, they didn't build around him. Yeah, they they didn't they they didn't solve they didn't like their the entire time they needed starting pitching and they never really bothered to expand upon their rotation. So, you know, uh, well, I guess they did get uh the uh the modern day Nolan Ryan with J- Jeremy Hellickson, but uh that's all they really were able to do. Um banked on like Kevin Gosman and Chris Tillman and Wee and Chen like being able to be aces at the top of their rotation. And that just never happened. Same with Dylan Bundy. They hoped he would work out. He didn't. Yeah, it's it's really a question of like what their pitching development is, but that's another conversation uh to be had. Yeah, they just they just uh yeah, could never could never really um never really get it going. I'm assuming 2013 I would assume that's the franchise record for like home runs in a season. Uh, uh, Eddie Murray. Nah. I think Eddie Murray would be the guy who challenged that, right? Probably. I would. I would. I would assume so. I guess I can check. I don't. I don't think. I don't think Eddie Murray got to fifty-three, and Frank Robinson certainly didn't. Uh, Frank Robinson got the forty-nine. Sure didn't die there. Who? Brooks Robinson. Yeah. Neither did Jim Palmer. Yeah, no, <laughs> or Cal Ripken Jr. Uh, leaders, top 10 single season batting. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Let's take... Yep. Chris Davis, the franchise record, 53. Yeah. Franchise record for single season for home runs in a single is, season. I wonder if he has one and two. Uh, he has one and four. Okay. Uh, it goes Chris Davis, Brady Anderson, Frank Robinson, oh, Chris Davis. I... Mark Trumbo tied as well. How could I forget the legendary 50 home run season of Brady Anderson? I mean, yeah, I mean, lots of people, lots of people would forget. And obviously the uh, single season RBI record in the in Orioles franchise history belongs to Ken Williams of 1922, the first 30-30 season. I mean, I, if I wrote about that a bunch of time ago. That was the first article I ever wrote for my first website that I was at. But, yeah, that, that's, that's what Chris Davis will be remembered for. 53 home runs, uh, franchise record, and it's going to be – I mean, like, in Baltimore. I think in Baltimore, 
it maybe be remembered as that, but like from a national baseball standpoint, like you're not think like people aren't gonna think of Chris Davis and remember 2013 and 15. As sad as it sounds, that just isn't gonna be the case, unfortunately. But yeah, it'll it'll be the most let's, positive. Let's not forget. Yeah, like, it'll be the most forget. positive po- positive thing he'll be remembered for. Yeah. Uh, ever, I wonder if he was like ever nominated for like a Roberto Clemente Award. Yeah, I think. He, is each is each franchise uh, required to nominate someone uh, for that award? Yeah, because yeah. I, I knew they do that. They did that with the Walter Payton Walter Payton Man of the Year award. Very football heavy episode, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> just casually mention mentioning NFL. We'll just okay, yeah. I'll start with twenty thirteen and then go. Because I feel like he had to have been nominated. I mean, yeah, at least by the Orioles, um, that had to be a thing. Um, it is know. funny looking at all these uh, single-season leaders for uh, Orioles franchise history, and it's a lot of lot of lot of St. Louis Browns on here. You got George Sisler, you know Ken Williams, as previously mentioned. Yep, that's great, wonderful. Um. But yeah, you know, probably his his ultimate legacy on Baltimore will be, you know, what he did in the community, which is uh, great. And uh, but you know, ultimately, a lot of people will, will remember how that contract yeah okay turned 20, out. Twenty seventeen, Chris Davis was nominated for the Roberto Clemente the uh, award. Yeah, so obviously he was using his resources well with resources being, you know, time, effort, money. And, and 2018. Yeah, twice. At least. I'm, I'm still going through. It could have been uh, 2019 as well. That's three consecutive years. And then 2020. Um, no, it was not him. Okay. So three consecutive years he was nominated for the Roberto Clemente Award. That's something that, you know, like there's a lot of times where, like, players have very – decorated careers and the Roberto Clemente award is what they're most proud of. Yeah. And, you know, um, not to knock the guy, but the Roberto Clemente award is uh, like, it's for people who, um, you know, like excel on and off the field. So there is a requirement of how good you do. People who have a profile. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, meant for guys who are, like uh, very good uh, baseball players as well. But that's how good Chris Davis was off the field was, you know, he was, he he was able to be an average to below average player. while you know, still being able to be a viable Roberto Clemente award option um, because of what he did off the field. That's right. Um, Anything, anything more on, uh, on Chris Davis, C-H-R-I-S. This is like, I feel like this is one of the first signs that I'm getting old because I mean, like when I started, when I started coming up as a baseball fan, like the first year that I really paid attention nationally was 2013. And, you know, my introduction to baseball was uh, the idea that Chris Davis was the best home run hitter in the game. And now he's, now he's out of the game. So, uh, you know, I've been here a while, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it does. uh does kind of feel that way a little bit um 
I guess that uh, brings us that to our players to highlight. I'm specifically. Do we not want to get into the Field of Dreams game anymore? Did we say everything there? I think I think we did. Okay, because I kind of had to abruptly uh, end that. Yeah, so that uh, does it. We will now do uh, our players to highlight. Um, and uh, now for our Thursday, August 12th, 2021 edition of... Uh, who do you have for us today? Uh, today, I am crossing a team off the list where there's only two remaining. And very rarely in these how about that's at this stage of the season, do we actually look at people through what they've done the entire season. We really usually just do trends, but I'm doing it today. Uh, I'm looking at Jonathan Loizaga of the New York Yankees, a relief pitcher who is tied for the lead in F4 this season among AL relief pitchers. He has 1.8 wins above replacement. Uh, only Craig Kimbrell has more. He's obviously been in the NL for a majority of the season. Loizaga has also been scoreless in 27 of his last 30 appearances. Uh, the only problem is that he's allowed four runs in two of those three uh, appearances where he's allowed runs. But 90% of the time, he comes out there and gives you what you need. Uh, among the 25 relief pitchers who have thrown at least 50 innings this season, Loizaga's 0.32 home runs per nine is second in the majors. And also this season, he is 96th percentile in exit velocity, 99th percentile in hard hit percentage, 98th percentile in expected WOBA and expected ERA, 92nd percentile in expected batting average, 98th percentile expected slugging, 96th percentile in barrel percentage, 86th percentile in walk percentage, 98th percentile chase rate, 99th percentile fastball velocity. He has been elite from a baseball savant standpoint. And one of the interesting things about him is that his sinker usage is up 30% from where it was in 2020. He's turned himself into a sinker ball pitcher this year. And ironically, the statistics on his sinker show that he's actually been getting unlucky. Uh, he, has a two point, he has a 269 batting average against on the sinker with a 201 expected batting average. And he has a 311 slugging percentage against on the sinker with a 256 expected slugging. Uh, that 256 expected slugging is the sixth best out of the 147 pitchers to have at least 50 plate appearances and on a sinker. And all of his pitches have been excellent this year, except for his four-seam fastball, which he throws, I believe, like 4% of the time. So if he just ditches that entirely and his luck balances out on his sinker, Jonathan Loiza can probably only get better from where he is right now. And, I mean, we could be looking at legitimately a top 10, maybe even top 5 reliever in baseball uh, should all that happen? Yeah, Jonathan Loisega. How about that? Uh, yeah, he's been someone where he's it's been a, it's been a change where like a couple of years ago, if I saw Loisega was warming up in the bullpen, I was like, oh, the Yankees must be down by four or something. Now he's you know kind of a yeah high leverage situation guy, someone where you know if. If, uh, you know, Chapman's on the IL right now, but you don't feel that uncomfortable because you've got, you know, someone like Loisga who can uh, hold it down in the late innings. Um, exactly. Despite, you know, a famous scenario I'm thinking of where he was not uh, as effective. But one of those, what's one of those three out of his last 30 appearances? Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, after Domingo Herman's no-hitter. Yeah, but 
you know, one appearance does not make a season. And that is obvious uh, as that segment, as that, uh, as that, you know, how about that uh, signified? Um, so when you, uh, when you said you're crossing another team off the list, I was mortified because I thought you uh, selected my player. It is the same team, so I'm not going to be crossing okay. uh, a name off the list, but I'm really happy to pre- be presenting this guy because uh, in our preview show, he was one of my players to watch. And also in Kyle's questions, I pointed him out as a player to watch and uh, a reason you should, you know, uh, he was one of the players where it's like you you might not expect him to break out, but he could play a big role in a team. Uh, I'm talking about Jameson Tyon, who in his last six starts has a 1.25 ERA in a 43 and a third innings pitch. Uh, since July 6th, when the span started, he ranks third in innings pitch and second in ERA. Uh, before the span, his exit velocity was 89.6 miles per hour. Uh, his average exit velocity was 89.6 miles per hour. And in this span, his average exit velocity against is 86.4 miles per hour. 3.2 mile per hour difference, pretty big there. And also prior to the span, uh, 12.7% of his batted balls against had a launch angle of 50 degrees or higher. Uh 50 degrees or higher is MLB.com's definition of a pop-up, but it doesn't always translate on baseball savant because I think they factor in uh, exit velocity for what a pop-up might be. But uh, 12.7% of batted balls having a launch angle of 50 degrees or higher is pretty good uh, nonetheless. But uh, in this span, that has increased to 19.8% of his batted balls uh, against being... Uh, batted balls with a launch angle of 50 degrees or higher so uh, almost one out of five um batted balls he gives up are just straight up pop-ups as a hitter you never want a 50 degree launch angle or higher that's almost never a hit if it's a hit it's because like it's a bunt single or it's like a a shifted defense or a misplay like yeah it's not a home run either yeah i'm pretty sure all of those uh, were were outs the the fifty yeah. degrees or higher from from Tyon, and since July sixth, he has induced more pop ups than any other pitcher. So he's uh being effective up in the zone, I would assume. Uh, and uh, he is really, you know, especially in Garrett Cole's absence, he is really stepping it up and uh, pitching like a top of the rotation guy, which is exactly what the Yankees need, uh, especially with um with their starting pitching situation. So, Jameson Tyon. How about that? So, now we go from the highs to the lows. We're talking about players or subjects that have been underperforming. And for our Thursday, August 12th, 2021 edition of... Slightly Alarming. So, who do you got for us today for Slightly Alarming? I have a bit of a disclaimer. This guy has been getting unlucky with batted ball tendencies, but uh, there are some... Uh, concerning things here that have nothing to do with that. I'm looking at Max Kepler today because he's been struggling over the last month. He is slashing 167, 236, 313 with a 548 OPS since July 17th. And over that time, his 50 weighted runs created plus are seventh worst among the 159 qualifiers. And over this span, he has a 5.7% walk rate and 20, 21.7% strikeout rate. 
that's kind of a trend to how his season has been because as of right now, in 2021, he has his career high strikeout rate and his career low walk rate. You know, having one of those happen in a season is not the end of the world, but having both have it, having both happen in the same season is bad news. Yeah, Max Kepler. Slightly alarming. Um, yeah, you know, one of the many twins that are underperforming. Uh, my slightly alarming is a freeze over, and I feel a little bad because it wasn't my how about that, so it, it is a bit of a, it is a bit of a thing where, you know, I'm just going to take the freeze over for, for myself, but uh, Tommy Pham has uh, not been, not been doing too hot in his last 14 games. He is hitting 123 with a 377 OPS uh, before the span. He's not even getting the walks in, is he? So yeah, I'm, I'm going to get into it before the span. His strikeout rate was 21% and his walk rate was 15%. But in this span, his strikeout rate is 40%, while his walk rate is only 5%. So this is a very, very alarming. It's, you know, is he not seeing the ball as well? Is he being deceived a little more? I don't know what's going into that, but that is a major difference. And uh, before the span, his ground ball rate was 48%. But in the span, his ground ball, his ground ball rate is 67%. So, uh, you know, Tommy Pham, big difference from where he was uh, a few weeks ago when he when he was highlighted as a how about that. But uh, getting the freeze over treatment, getting a slightly alarming. Really, you sounded really guilty about doing the freeze over there, but that was good because you. You framed the the slightly alarming exactly around how I framed his how about that. Like when I talked about his how about that, I I basically only mentioned his walks, and that's obviously something that he's been particularly struggling with over the over the slightly alarming. Yeah, I did I did uh watch the uh, I did go back and watch wherever the how, how about that was. I was searching throughout the episodes to where it was. So, uh, yep. um, yeah, that was a big difference. Is like. Fam and Fam historically has been able to get on base via walk, uh, and you know his uh, his walk rate is about a third of what you know in his last fourteen games his walk rate is about one third of what it usually is, and his strikeout rate is almost doubled. Uh, so seeing the ball a little differently, it's uh, been a rough stretch for him, uh, and you know I'm, there's not a lot of spots there's there's a a lot of talent in that Padres lineup, so. You know, he's some I'm, I'm pretty sure he did not play yesterday. So, uh, you know, if if he continues this, he might not be uh, someone they rely on in the lineup. Uh, so that does it for players or subjects to highlight. Uh, now we get into a preview of the weekend ahead. Um, by the way, my bad on previews of the weekend ahead, whenever there's a good Red Sox series, I'll just skip over it and not, not, not acknowledge it. I definitely should have acknowledged the Red Sox race series that was happening yeah. this past week. Uh, I think what happens, cause I, I look at the preview of the weekend ahead on the uh, MLB app and Red Sox race is always the first series that pops up, but I'm always scrolling down and I never go back up to see it. So that's a, uh, 
that's what goes on there. But in terms of series to watch this upcoming weekend, um, a lot of series are ending today, so not much really, uh, not much really starting uh, today. But I think, um, I think uh, probably one interesting series to watch where I think you know it might actually be bad news for a certain team. You have Mets Dodgers uh, this. Uh, this upcoming weekend, you got a three gamer. It's going to be, you know, the Dodgers who are a great team versus the Mets who have been slumping, but it will be at city field Uh, Friday. You have Tyler McGill versus Julio uh, or And then Saturday, you're going to have Taiwan Walker versus Walker Bueller, which are two very different, Two very two pitch, trending pitchers. Two very different trending pitchers. Yeah. Uh if for for reference on Walker Bueller, you know, the only I've, I mentioned Jameson Tyon is second in ERA in his last six starts. The only guy ahead of him is Walker Bueller. Uh Sunday, you have um let's see, Max Scherzer versus TBD. And the series I'm kind of interested in is Phillies Reds because you know uh, the Reds are a bit of a threat in the wild card, and the Phillies are trying to hold on to the uh, NL East. Uh, Friday night, you actually have a, a pretty good pitching matchup that you're probably going to go over. Saturday, it's Castillo versus TBD, and Sunday you have uh, Gray versus TBD. Um, so, what what are the day by day matchups you're looking at? for this upcoming weekend. Sure. I would love to get into that. I got, well, let's look at Thursday first. The obvious game of the day is the Field of Dreams game. You have uh, the aforementioned Andrew Heaney, the ex-Fip legend versus Lance Lynn. Uh, You have Hugh Darvish going tonight for the San Diego Padres. You have a pretty good matchup out in San Fran. Herman Marquez going up against Logan Webb. Logan Webb hasn't been getting too many innings in, but he's pitched very well nonetheless. Uh, Marco Gonzalez goes tonight for Seattle. He's been pitching a lot better lately. John Means goes tonight for the Baltimore Orioles in Miggy's possible 500th home run game. Pretty good matchup out in Chicago with Brandon Woodruff and Kyle Hendricks going against each other. You have Chris Bassett going for the A's. You have Ranger Suarez going for the Phillies, who uh, in the in the finale against the Dodgers, Ranger Suarez, reliever who has a sub-1 ERA going as an opener today. And then... You have Tanner Houck going for the Red Sox. He's the right-handed version of Chris Sale. It's been very interesting, both of our players to watch. Marcus Stroman going for the Mets in game one of the doubleheader. And then the matchup of the night comes at 9.38 Eastern time. Jose Barrios versus Shohei Otani out in Anaheim. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. Barrios has been very good for the Blue Jays, and Otani is Otani. So then on Friday, you have Tyler Male going for the Reds up against... Zach Wheeler uh, of the Phillies, who is coming off a complete game shutout against the Mets. A one-hitter, I believe. You have my National League Cy Young, Jack Flaherty, coming off the IL. If he pitches a complete game shutout on a CC Sabathia 2008 pitching schedule with the Brewers, he's still in this, Chris. He could still win it. If he, uh, yeah, it might need to be a, it might need to be a old Hoss Radborn pitching yeah, exactly. schedule. Uh, you have Zach Greinke going for the um, 
the Astros, you have Austin Gomber going for the Rockies, Anthony Desclafani going for the Giants. I'd say matchup of the night. These two haven't been particularly uh, with their prime numbers, but it's still an interesting matchup of the lefties. Blake Snell versus Madison Bumgarner in the desert. That's a decent one to watch if it's uh, if it's 2018 still. Yeah. On Saturday, you have the return of Chris Sale from Tommy John surgery. I believe it'll be his first time pitching in almost two years, exactly. Yeah. He'll be facing the Orioles, probably limited innings, but nonetheless, still good to see Chris Sale back out on the mound. You have Luis Castillo going for the Reds. He's struggled recently, recently, but still worth watching. Max Freed going for the Braves, the first place Atlanta Braves, might I add, in a tie for that division. James Caprillion going for the A's. Uh, Dylan Cease going for the White Sox. He's been turning it around a lot. Joe Musgrove going for the Padres. Luis Garcia going for the Astros. Right now, matchup up to watch would probably be the one that you mentioned, the Cy Young candidate, Walker Buehler, versus the slightly alarming uh, Taiwan Walker. It's the uh, Walker versus Walker matchup. Yep, yep. And uh, Sunday. Yeah, so Sunday you have Eduardo Rodriguez going for the Red Sox, Sonny Gray going for the Reds. You have Zach Thompson going for the Marlins. He's been a very strong under-the-radar uh, candidate this season. Lucas Giolito going in the finale of Yankees-White Sox. You have Sean Manaya going for the A's. You have Lance McCullers Jr. and that nice uh, slider going for the Astros. You have John Gray versus Alex Wood uh, in Rockies and Giants. And then matchup of the night, uh, I say night because it's the only night game on the docket for a Sunday. Sunday Night Baseball, Max Serger versus Carlos Carrasco. That'll be a good one to watch. Uh, but other than that, watch for the Field of Dreams game. Watch for Miggy's 500th home run. Watch for uh, the Braves and Phillies aren't playing each other, but still watch those two teams because they are in a tie for the division lead. Watch watch a lot of baseball this weekend. There's a lot of good stuff going on. Chris Sale's return. Yeah. Jack Flaherty's return. A lot of fun stuff. Yeah, Chris Sale's return I'm uh, pretty excited for. I, I mean, I don't know what innings limit they, they'll have him on because, I mean, he did throw, I think, 89 pitches in uh, Worcester for his last start. So uh, I don't know. I, maybe uh, maybe they won't limit him that much, uh, hopefully, mm-hmm. unless it affects his health, obviously. Uh, all right. So that does it for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed this one. If you were listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. If you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Giancia and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore current and follow the show Instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you on Monday, next Monday, where we are talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball once again. See you then. This conversation, this conversation is over, is over. <laughs>